You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi, and welcome everybody today. If you were here for the first time last week, either online or in the room for our Easter weekend, welcome back. We're so glad you're here. We're starting something in earnest. We sort of started last week, which is this new series called How to Follow Jesus Christ. I hope that's clear enough for you today. Uh, but we're going to begin with our scripture reading. I'll talk, talk to you about what the series is all about in just a minute. But let's start with that scripture reading. It's going to be on the screen here for you today from the Gospel of Matthew Chapter 14, here we go. I'll be your scripture reader. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That's the reading of God's word and all his people said, amen, amen. Yeah, Oz Guinness is a British Christian thinker and writer and yes, heir to the Guinness beer fortune. And if you're already bored in the first three seconds of this message, maybe you're back now that I'm talking about the beer guy. All right. But in his book called The Call, Guinness takes a look at what it means to follow Jesus right here, right now, and some obstacles that get in the way of that. And one thing he points out that gets in the way of following Jesus, and let me pause here mid-sentence before I go on any further and say three things. Number one, that, or following Jesus, is what this series is all about. In case you, you somehow missed it, or you were Instagramming there during that intro video, uh, we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus Christ through the lens of the life of Simon Peter. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to assume, forgive me for doing this, but I'm going to assume that at some level, since you are either in or you are watching a Christian church service today, that at some level you are actually interested in hearing about that. And, uh, and if you're not, at the very least, then someone you're here that you're with is, and so they've bribed you to come, and we're glad for that too. But number three, let me just suggest to you that that... Following Jesus is actually what all of this is all about, or at least ought to be about. But I was going to say that one of the main obstacles we face to doing that today, to following Jesus, and I think he's right, is something that we see, something that we feel, something we're experiencing increasingly in our culture. And this is a term, it's called secularization. Secularization, and Guinness defines that term like this. He says, secularization is the process through which the decisive influence of religious ideas and institutions has been neutralized in successive sectors of society and culture, 
making religious ideas less meaningful and religious institutions more marginal. In particular, it refers to how our modern consciousness and ways of thinking are restricted to the world of the five senses. So again, this is saying that that our world, in effect, has been shrunk And here's how. In the past, uh, even in cultures where things like superstition, things like idol worship, where those things were rampant, there was always a sense of or an awareness of a divine. Did you catch that? All right. It was like he said, we used to live, culturally speaking, in a house with windows to the supernatural. Even if those windows were dirty with idolatry or sort of foggy with superstition, uh, at least there were windows But now, for many people, especially in the West, maybe even for people who claim to follow Jesus, modern life is lived in a world without windows. That's his point. Secularization has led us to believe we can do it all on our own, make it all on our own, by ourselves. And Guinness's conclusion is this. Even many Christians, therefore, have become functional atheists. Many who call themselves Christians don't pray, don't read their Bibles, aren't in contact with the divine. Oh, but I want to suggest to you that old William Shakespeare was right in Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 5, when he has Hamlet and turn and say to his buddy Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There's more out there. There's more things in heaven and earth. He's saying, you know, old, old buddy skeptic Horatio, there's a bigger world out there than just science and philosophy alone. And I think Hamlet was right. And, you know, of course, getting visited by your father's ghost, that'll do that to you, if you know the story. But it was something like, it's been a while since I read Hamlet Morgan. All right, no worries. I'm sure you'll go home today and read it just this afternoon, just some light reading to pass the time on a Sunday. All right, but let me just suggest to you this, and perhaps you're ready in a new way to hear this after living through what for a lot of people has been the most difficult year in their life. Say this, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has come to blow open the windows to your world. Your world, our world, he's come to call you, call me, call us to follow him that is demonstrable and reflective of the supernatural kingdom he came to bring. All right. In short, he calls us to follow him out of this secular worldview, out of a life marked by only nice moral principles or only nice scientific studies alone, as, as good and as important as those things are. And into a life marked deeply by the supernatural. And here's what I mean in specific. This is what we're going to take a look at today. To follow Jesus means we trade and keep on trading a life measured by our power for a life marked by his. To follow Jesus. Thank you. Y'all are better than first, sir. They kind of sort of stared at me right there. But I like that. I heard, I heard, I think I heard Galen in the room with that man low bass right there. To follow Jesus means we trade and keep on trading a life measured by our power for a life marked by his. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? Let me try to show you now from the famous account of Peter walking on the water. To follow Jesus means we do three things. And when we follow him out of our strength, and into weakness. Number two, out of our boat and onto the water. Number three, out of our doubt and into his hand. Out of our strength, boat, and doubt. Here we go all from Matthew 14. Let's take a look at number one, following Jesus out of our own strength. Okay, 
Where does this story begin? If you know the background, Jesus here, he, he's been ministering on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's late in the day. Jesus has just finished performing one of his most famous public miracles. He's multiplied food, fed more than 5,000 men and women from just a, a few pieces of fish and bread. And the people, of course, here, they want to make him king. I mean, who wouldn't want a crown? Someone who can feed you on time every time, right? But Jesus knows crowds are fickle. Jesus knows crowds can be shallow. He's after something deeper with those who claim to follow him. Verse 22, immediately after the miracle, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. No surprise here, Jesus is praying. If you back up just a bit, you know, of course, that not only has Jesus expended a whole lot of spiritual energy performing the miracle, but he's also a bit been leaking some emotional energy because his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been killed before that miracle. And so Jesus goes to pray and recover, reconnect. But while he's up praying on a mountain, oh, there's a storm brewing out on the sea. Later that night, the passage says he was there alone and the boat, got all the disciples in it, was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And isn't this the case? A storm brews in our lives, but we think Jesus is ignorant of it even at the very moment he's up interceding for us. But all the disciples know is that Jesus told them to get in the boat together, y'all, and go out on the lake. So they go, so the storm rolls in, which of course was an out of the ordinary on the Sea of Galilee. Most storms there blow up quickly, dissipate quickly. What was out of the ordinary was how long this storm lasted. And isn't it true that the longer the storm, the more it takes out of you? Yeah. Isn't it true? The longer that you row in the dark, the more confused you can become. And isn't it true that the longer it takes to get to the other side, the more tempted to despair you become. To these disciples, including Peter, they struggle through this storm for for hours. It likely begins around 8 p.m. trying to row to the other side. 8, 9, 10 p.m. Midnight comes and goes, still rowing, still struggling. 1 a.m. still rowing. 2 a.m. still rowing. 3 a.m. still rowing and struggling. And they're still not across that stupid lake. What have they been doing for hours? Only what Jesus told them to do. They're chilled. They're exhausted. They're wondering if they'll even survive. They're grumpy, probably a little sick of each other. They're stuck quarantined in that little boat all together. Most of all, I think they're wondering a single question, which is the question we all wonder when we get tired. Where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? And yet what I, what I want you to see, what I think we're supposed to see here is at this very moment, these disciples are cramped, waterlogged, like voices hoarse from screaming into the wind, and by the way, mentally unhinged a bit. Did you pick that up? At the, at the very moment, Jesus comes to them. They think it's a ghost. At this very moment, when their strength is gone, even their minds are failing, they are right here. Woo, exactly in the middle of the will of God. That'll blow your mind. They're doing exactly what he said to do. Obeying Jesus Christ perfectly, only to find a storm blows around about them. And they can't make it through. 
If you don't know the name Amy Carmichael, now you do. Amy was an Irish missionary to India. Once she landed there in her 20s, she didn't ever leave again until she died in her 70s, more than 50 years later. But Amy began there by evangelizing the, the Indian people, leading them to faith in Christ. And her, their ministry expand, her ministry expanded even more one day when a terrified little seven-year-old girl walked into her mission compound in Donover, a town there in India. A- Amy took her in and she gave her a home because she understood what this girl's fate was going to be otherwise. Because this girl was one of the thousands dedicated as infants to be temple prostitutes. And Amy began to rescue hundreds of girls and boys from that future. Now, what's fascinating and sad is that some of her Christian friends had begun to tell her that she had lost her way. That by rescuing these children, she had forgotten the gospel. And I hear the same thing sometimes said today about maybe us or churches when we serve the homeless. We talk about race or justice when we take trips to serve orphans and repair their facility. Every time Morgan Mosaic Church has forgotten the gospel. So I'll give you a version of what Amy Carmichael said. We haven't forgotten the gospel. Oh, no, no. We're demonstrating the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come just to talk about his kingdom. He came to demonstrate it. And may we do the same. Oh, but back to Amy here. Yeah, back to Amy. Though The British government, they didn't intervene to help her, even though she was getting death threats against her life. Others, thankfully, did. And her mission grew. There she was in the boat following Jesus, rescuing girls and boys left and right, leading people to Christ, following Jesus. And then a storm blew up in her life. One night she experienced a crippling fall. She fell into this pit in the dark. It's left her in incredible pain. And her doctors expected her to recover, but she didn't. She didn't. She never did. She rarely left her bed for the next 20 years of her life till she died. And you can read in her writings, which are amazing, by the way, she was disoriented. She was disillusioned. She didn't understand what Jesus was doing in her life. Why would God allow her to suffer like this? Wasn't she doing his work? Wasn't she obeying him, following him to India, leaving behind everything, rescuing people from hells in this life and hell in the next? Why would this happen to her? And out of this moment of searing pain and loss came one of the brightest lights, I believe, in church history. Her words, her poems, her songs, her voice has endured long after her life ended. And she wrote many devotions and reflections on facing pain and loss. And one poem she wrote, we're going to look at right now, it's called Nothing in the House. One of my favorites, actually. This first verse, first verse is Amy Carmichael's prayer to God. And maybe you could say as you read it, this has been yours. This has been ours, mine, over this last year. She said, I thought that I had courage to endure. And sometimes happy songs, now I'm sure. Thy servant truly hath not anything. And see, my songbird hath a broken wing. This felt like you today, and you feel like this. Would you just raise your hand right now? I thought I had courage to endure. I'm not so sure now, God. My songbird, kind of stuck, yeah. Amy Carmichael is describing the reality that following Jesus Christ can be incredibly disorienting. A lot of amens for that one, but that's okay. It's true. Just true. When we say yes to following him, when we get in that Jesus boat, we think it's going to be a nice ride around like the kitty splash zone at the water park, right? Up, down, down in the boat with you, Jesus. No, but if the disciples, if Peter here, if we were never emptied of ourselves, 
We're only going to rely on our own strength, our own intellect, our own power. We're just strictly secular people. Oh, but to change the world, they needed then. I want to tell you, the church of Jesus needs now to have our strength replaced by something greater. And I want to tell you this, the church in America, you read studies, you hear stories, all that. Church in America, I believe, is less in a time of decline than it is in a time of being defined. Being defined, being refined, being emptied of its own power, of just nice American church growth strategies alone, and being forced to rely on a supernatural strength. And Amy Carmichael got that. She got that. And here's the conclusion of that little poem. Here's God's answer to hers, yours, mine, our disorientation. God said, let not your heart be troubled. Do not fear. Why shouldst thou, child of mine, if I am here, my touch will heal thy songbird's broken wing. And he shall have a braver song to sing. And I want to, you know, church, that's my prayer for you and for us today. Our songbird would have a braver song to sing as we go out into this year. Paul the Apostle put it like this, and I'm going to preach this verse to you. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will what? Brad, boast, cheer, applaud all the more gladly about all my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Oh, Paul, where are you going? Oh, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. So what if, church, what if to teach in you, what if to deepen you, what if to sharpen you, what if above all to make space for his supernatural power to flow in through you and through our community here, Jesus puts you in a boat with some other disciples and tells you to keep rowing until he gets there. Yeah. Follow Jesus. Number one, he calls us out of our strength, out of our own strength. Into weakness. Oh, it's not fun. You never would have chosen it. But when we get to that point, now we are in perfect position for a miracle. Number two, he also calls us now out of our boat and onto the water. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I would have been too. It's a ghost, they said, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take three things, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, just about every commentator you can find points out that when Jesus says, it is I, this is the Greek version of what God said to Moses at the bush when God said his name was, I am. I am. So this is what's happening to them. Jesus here in their moment of fear, they're terrified out of their minds. He's telling his followers now, like he told his follower Moses then, Jesus is telling them exactly who he is. He is not just not a ghost. It's way better than that. He's saying, I am I am. I'm the one who made the universe. I'm the one who made the stars. I'm the one who made the oceans. And of course I can walk on the water. I made the water. I am. I am. It is I. Now, who talks like this? No wonder Peter asks what Peter asks next. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Don't you love Peter's like, man, just give me something, Jesus, and I'll come. But what does Jesus say back to Peter? He simply says, verse 29, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Peter walked on the water and came towards Jesus. By the way, let me say this. When Jesus tells you to come to him, you better do it. 
You better do it. When he says, obey me with this, you better do it. When he says, hey, give those resources, you better do it. When he says, hey, serve those people, you better do it. When he says, I want you to forgive them, uh uh-oh, you better do it. When he says, break up with her, break up with him, you'd better do it. Why? Well, on one hand, I want to put this as graciously as possible, you don't actually need another reason. Besides, he said it. So beyond the fact that I am said it, ask you to do something, you don't need another reason beyond that. But if you did, let's say, there's actually another one right here. I think it's pretty cool. When you're told to step out and come to him, here's why you should go. Put it like this. Because it's safer with Jesus out on the water. Safer with Jesus out on the water than without Jesus back in the boat. It's safer with Jesus out on the water than without Jesus back in the boat. And here's why. You got to see what's under, it's happening in the moment here. Peter, here's what's happening. Peter was seeing Jesus, catch the image, move faster across the water all by himself in a storm than all the disciples could move with all their oars put together for hours. In other words, it was taking Jesus a fraction of time to do in the middle of the impossible circumstance what it had taken the disciples all night collectively together to do just to begin to scratch the surface of. Jesus was accomplishing in an instant without effort what a group of 12 men could barely make headway on. And so when you see something like that, when you realize this is who you're dealing with and you're Peter, guess what? The boat doesn't seem so safe anymore. God can do more in a moment when we'll just trust him, follow him, come after him than all of us can do together on our own, our own strength. You know, before Carrie and I moved back here to Pastor and Mosaic, we had a great job. It wasn't an easy job, but it was a great job. A lot more safety. I'll put it like that than this one. We worked for, she's laughing because it's true. We were for this national campus ministry group called Every Nation Campus. Come on, Every Nation Campus. Love them. We were living in Nashville. I was traveling the country, the world a little bit, got to speak on college campuses, super cool, helped train and develop campus missionaries. I loved it. But when we got the call to come here from my best friends in the world right there, Dr. John Lloyd, not, it was the church board at the time, which became the elder team. But when we got the call, not just from them, hear me, but from Jesus, Jesus, we said yes to coming to this church at a place and time where, man, things were not easy. If you know our history, man, there was a lot of water leaking into the boat, things threatened to capsize. And so, you know what? We just said yes. And though it cost us in that moment, every dollar we had to get here. Emptied our bank account, moved our kids, our two in diapers, four kids, our, our <laughs> three whatever pieces of furniture we had. We came. I still have friends who say, Morgan, I, I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe you went. Now I'd say it's worked out all right so far. A lot of help from God, a lot of help from a lot of people. Now, it wasn't safe. Let me tell you this. Safety isn't our first goal as followers of Christ. Being with, following Jesus is our first goal. Safety, now safety is important. Hope you know that. We're wearing our masks here. We're sanitizing stuff left and right. Respect science, respect medicine. I got no patience for those who belittle doctors, nurses, researchers. The safest place of all to be is wherever Jesus calls you to go. Out on the water. And before we see what's happened next, I just want to acknowledge this as a simple truth. This isn't the story, is it? Of Bartholomew out on the water. Nathaniel, Philip, James, Thomas. No, 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 it's Peter's. Why? He heard the voice of Jesus and he went. You want your own story, maybe like this? You got to follow him, right? And yeah, Peter sinks in a moment, but what about this one moment here? What other human being in history has done this? 
Have you ever done that? Ever left your past for a moment back in the boat? Come out of the water. Come out onto the water. Follow him? Yeah. You can today, and we'll get there in just a second. All right, number one, we follow Jesus. We come out of our own strength. In a weakness, we come out of the boat, onto the water. And finally, number three, we're shown that to follow Jesus, to trade our strength for his supernatural power, number three, we come out of our doubt and into his hand. And you notice here, I said doubt singular, not doubts plural, because I think there's a specific doubt that Jesus is getting at. But I want to tell you, doubters in general, they're just welcome in God's kingdom. They are. Uh, God receives all doubters. Maybe this is you today. Like Abraham doubted. Man, Thomas doubted. The disciples, some of them on the, on the mountain after he was resurrected. Matthew's gospel says some doubted. God, God welcomes doubters into his kingdom. Bring them on. He can handle it. But I think Jesus is after something specific inside Peter and you and me right here. Let's try to find it. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Oh, now, listen, here's the irony of this verse, and maybe you saw it. The wind that Peter saw had been there all along. Like, what do you mean, Peter, when you saw the wind? You've been choking on wind for eight hours. You've been drowning in wind. Your voice is hoarse from wind. You know there's wind. The wind did not keep you from getting out of the boat. So what changed? What changed is obvious. Here's what, and here it is. It's what Peter, actually who Peter was looking at. Peter sinks because he forgets who Jesus is. And Peter remembers who Peter is. That old inner monologue comes back. Maybe you've heard it too because I've heard it a thousand times. You can't do this. You can't keep this up. Loser, failure, who do you think you are? What are you even doing here? What's the point of all of this? There's no way this is possible. I want to tell you, this is called self-doubt, self-doubt. It comes by looking at the self and it is a response to a strictly secular worldview. It's a natural response to a secular worldview. And here's why. Looking to yourself as the sole answer for every moment of crisis, every trial you go through, looking to yourself reflects a deep doubt in the existence of God because you act like he's not there. And a deep doubt in the present activity of Jesus Christ in your life. And when you look to you, of course the wind seems louder. When you look to you, of course you get afraid. When you look to you, of course you sink. And when you look to you, the voice of Jesus, right? The voice, the call of Jesus is lost. Let me ask you, you felt like you've lost his voice a bit over the last year. Past few months, has the wind picked up? your life the point it causes you to doubt yeah listen to yourself right listen to the news alone listen to social media alone that wind will pick up that'll cause you to sink that'll cause you to doubt I had lunch with a friend last week he just said this to me he said morgan i just feel lost right now in our culture now on one hand i want to tell you if you feel like that you're not alone and if you feel like you've lost the voice of jesus in this storm i tell you it's not because Jesus has changed. He hasn't. It's not because Jesus has gone anywhere. He hasn't. He was with Peter the whole time. It's not even because there's wind. There's always some kind of wind blowing in there. There always is. We lose Jesus' voice when we start listening to ourselves, start listening to the wind, looking at what either we can do or we can't do in our strength. 
So on one hand, if you feel like you're sinking, you're drowning in fear, you're drowning in negativity, you're drowning in hate. Sure, I want to say those things are there, but those things don't mean that Jesus isn't. So even if this is you, it's okay. But, but look at what happens next. Verse 31. Immediately. Everybody say immediately. Immediately. Don't you love it? Immediately. This is you and me right here. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You a little faith. It's a nickname in the Greek. Little faith. Hey, little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? At the moment Peter begins to sing, Jesus catches his follower by the hand. This is my, my, my favorite moment in all the Gospels. Can you see it? This freeze frame, Jesus Christ reaching out in a storm on the water to his struggling, failing, falling disciple. Catching him by the hand. By the way, we should point out, Jesus never rebukes Peter for trying this, for attempting too much, only for trusting him too little. Now, of course, Peter doesn't answer the question either, does he? It just kind of hangs there. The question lingers in the air. Why did you doubt? And why do we doubt when, we can, when Jesus calls us to come to him? Why do we doubt we can even do the impossible in our own way? Well, I think Peter, again, he doubts for the same reason we do. He forgot who Jesus was. He starts trusting in himself. Stop trusting in Jesus. He literally lost faith. What about you? I want to tell you, wherever you are today, Whatever you're feeling today, I want you to see Jesus reaching out his hand to you in your storm. Say, Morgan, that's nice. <laughs> How can I trust him? All right. And by the name of Monty Roberts, Monty Roberts is a horse trainer. He wrote a book, maybe you've heard it, read it. It's called A Man Who Listens to Horses. And in his book, he, he talks about how he grew up watching his own father as a horse trainer basically break horses through fear, through intimidation, through a bit of violence. And Monty wanted to find a better way, because he loved the horses, a better way to connect with the horses and train them. So he, he became a champion rider himself. He spent many years with these horses, countless hours out in the heat, out in the cold with horses, until he developed his breakthrough way, which he calls not breaking horses, but gentling horses gentling horses. His breakthrough way, he caught the attention of the whole horse world and he even got to meet the Queen of England one time and perform this for her. And he's given countless demonstrations and they go like this. Within 30 minutes, he can take horses that even other master trainers have said are impossible to train. Violent horses no one could even come close to connecting with had them completely calm receiving riders, even transforming animals that no one else could. And many times because of this, his own peers doubted him. They, they, they persecuted him. They said it's like a trick or a slider hand or some drug you gave the horses because his breakthrough way was so transformative, no one could understand how he did it. And you know what he did? Here's what he did. Monty Roberts' breakthrough began when he began to learn to how to make himself like a horse. He used his own body. He modeled his body language after theirs. He learned how to, how to understand the horse's body language, which is their primary mode of communication. He used his eyes, his hands, his voice, his tone, his whole body, his full person to connect with them. And when he began to do that, when he became like a horse, the horses began to trust him and even to love him. Now, do you know what God in Jesus, through Jesus, has done for us? didn't remain distant from us. He got up close. He used his full person to become like us. He went even way further than Monty Roberts ever could or did. God became human, spoke our language. Why? Not just to break us through fear, intimidation, but to gentle us, 
to transform us, to calm our fears, and to show that God can be trusted. And so when you look here, church, at Jesus Christ here in the water with Peter reaching out his hand to a man drowning under the weight of his own self-doubt, under the curse of his own self-trust, because, by the way, that's what it is to lead a completely secular life. It's a curse. There's no real hope. There's no lasting joy. There's no ultimate meaning. There's no real beauty. There's only your five senses and a pine box waiting for you at the end of it all. Oh, but when you see Jesus standing on the water, reaching out his hand to Peter and you and me, you can know he didn't come to break us, dominate us, gentle us, transform us, show us he can be trusted and loved. Yeah. Show us he's worthy of being followed. Will you reach out your hand today, church? Come on. His hands are already outstretched. He stretched them out, not just to Peter then, but on the cross on Calvary to prove to you he's trustworthy. Prove to you he's trustworthy. And I hope now we're gonna take a moment, actually, our band's gonna come out in a second, and we're gonna take a moment, maybe a step of faith and follow him out on the water in just a bit. Hope you can say amen to this today. As we, I begin to close here, now we're gonna transition. I'm actually gonna ask you to do something a little different today. Would you stand on your feet with me? Stand on your feet with me today. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask us, even if it's, I'm getting into your business a little bit. All right. Ask you to reach out your hand toward him. If you feel so comfortable, if you're okay doing this, would you just right now reach those hands up, reach them out, see Jesus here. Especially if you're sinking today, sinking with self-doubt, sinking with discouragement, sinking in hate, sinking in negativity, sinking in the wind. See him, I mean it, reaching out his hand to you, coming to you on top, literally walking on the thing through which you begin to sink, walking on top of that, coming to you, accomplishing in an instant what whole groups of people can't even do whole lifetime. Jesus, would you catch us now? Would you catch each failing heart, each falling heart, each broken down heart? Surely you're near to the broken heart and you bind up their wounds. Lord, we just begin to confess today. Lord, if you've called us to come to you, we can do it. Lord, if you've called us to walk out on that water, we can do it. Lord, if you've called us to begin to follow you in a new way today, we can do it. If you've called us to trust, retrust, follow you. Lord, because you've said it, we do believe it. Because you've called us to come, we're going to go. Lord, we desire to hear your voice. Let's like Peter. Oh, we believe if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on water today. Lord, I thank you for that today. Lord, and I pray every heart today would take courage and be strengthened as we sing, celebrate, and remember who you are to us, Jesus. Thank you for catching us. Thank you for following uh, us down below the water, bringing us back up. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Amen. Let's sing a little bit here. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.